I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode includes details of violent crimes against children. This episode may not be for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. In our episode on murders by strange weapons, we discuss the case of China Arnold. Arnold murdered her newborn baby by opening the microwave, placing her baby inside and then pressing the start button. She would microwave her baby for more than two minutes, essentially cooking her daughter Paris from the inside. 28-day Paris Tally would die from her injuries and Arnold would receive a life sentence for her crime. Unfortunately, Arnold would not be the only case of parents doing the unthinkable, using this everyday ordinary household item to murder or seriously harm their own child. Murder by Microwave this week on Mysteriously Listed. Number 4. Claudia Rains The first recorded case of an American baby being burnt in the microwave was October 31, 1982. While the details surrounding this tragic event aren't clear, 32-year-old Claudia Rains would present at a hospital in Grand Rapids, Michigan with her one-month-old baby daughter Tracy. It was apparent the newborn baby was in significant pain, with third-degree burns to her left hand, right foot and abdomen. Rains claimed she had set her daughter on an ironing board that was around 18 inches from the microwave, while she prepared a bottle of milk and allowed it to warm in the microwave. Rains then left the room to fetch a feeding cloth, and when she returned, her baby was distressed, crying and suffering from severe burns. Doctors were suspicious of this story and would contact the police. Something didn't seem to add up with Rains's story, as the baby had been burnt but not her clothing. A warrant was granted to forensically investigate the ironing board, the iron and the microwave. Forensic investigators with the Federal Food and Drug Administration determined the ironing board was not able to conduct such heat, so Rains's story was not possible. There was also nothing wrong with the microwave, but medical experts determined the burns were definitely from radiation exposure. Detectives contacted the National Child Abuse Centre and the National Disease Centre, looking for records on microwave burns, but there simply wasn't any at that time. Unfortunately, baby Tracy would lose all the toes on her right foot and all but two fingers on her left hand because of the third-degree burns. Part of her abdomen would also be removed. She would spend almost two months in hospital recovering from her injuries and numerous surgeries. Upon her release, Tracy was immediately placed into a foster home. Rains's 19-month-old son was also placed under the jurisdiction of the court, but was allowed to remain with Rains and her husband whilst what happened to Tracy was being investigated. Ultimately, detectives were unable to conclusively prove how their baby had been burned. Claudia Rains would, however, be charged with child neglect for failing to provide, quote, necessary food, clothing and shelter, 
and provide protection from microwave radiation, unquote. A charge Rains would plead no contest to in 1984. Rains would receive a six-month suspended sentence, five years probation and 100 hours community service, plus mental health counselling if such treatment was considered necessary by her probation officer. And after a brief stint in foster care, Tracy Rains was returned to the care of her mother. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Number three, Elizabeth Ott. 19-year-old Elizabeth Ott and her partner, 18-year-old Joseph Anthony Martinez, were living with his parents in a one-storey brick rancher near Chickahomey Lake, just 35 miles outside of Richmond, Virginia. Tragedy would strike the family July 4, 1999, when Ott's 17-year-old brother was killed in a fiery car crash not far from their home. Ott suffered from epilepsy, for which she had stopped taking her medication for due to a pregnancy, and this resulted in frequent seizures, seizures that would only become more regular after her brother's death. Ott would also become consumed by her grief and would go through a state of depression. Only six weeks later, on August 18, 1999, Joseph and Ott would welcome baby Joseph Lewis Martinez Jr. into their lives, a positive from what had been a difficult year for the young family. September 23, 1999, the Martinez family would wake early to discover baby Joseph was missing. New Kent County Sheriff's Office was contacted, and a sheriff's deputy attended to the home at 5.45am to help search for the newborn. After an extensive search, the baby's aunt discovered one-month-old Joseph Martinez in an 18-inch microwave. He had patches of redness and blisters. He was cold to touch and not breathing. It was obvious the baby was deceased. Medical examiners would determine Joseph would have been cooked in the microwave for 10 minutes, his tiny body only succumbing to its injuries when his blood temperature reached 106 degrees. As Ott was the last person to be with the newborn, she would be arrested and charged with first-degree murder. At the pre-trial hearing, jurors heard testimony from medical experts that Ott's seizures were followed often by blackouts for up to 50 minutes. And since she stopped taking her medication for the pregnancy, Ott had had more than 50 seizures before and after the birth, even dropping the baby on one occasion. Ott told authorities that she woke at 1am to feed the baby, that she had walked into the living room with him and she did not remember whether or not she had taken her seizure medication that day. That was the last thing she remembered until she woke hours later. The bottle with only a few ounces of milk left on the end table in the living room and Joseph nowhere to be seen. 
neighbour Jeremy Hall would support Ott's version of events, that he had witnessed Ott after a seizure and her behaviour being confused and disorientated afterwards. Quote, I've seen Liz have a seizure. She wakes up and will cook eggs on the counter. Unquote. And these actions and behaviours are medically accurate for someone suffering from a grand mal seizure. Symptoms can include dreamlike states, distortion of time, illusions and hallucinations for up to half an hour after the seizure. In this state, a person's higher thinking processes may not be functioning, but they may be able to perform mundane tasks, such as dressing and undressing and going to the bathroom. So it is possible someone could put their baby in the microwave after a seizure, except for them, they wouldn't be microwaving their child. They would be acting in a very confused state. And much of Ott's trial did revolve around just that, determining whether it was even possible for someone who had just suffered from a seizure could be the right amount of disorientated to stuff an infant into the microwave and turn it on. However, the prosecution would argue that Ott knew what she was doing, that she deliberately put her baby in the microwave, turned it on and went to bed, that this was a textbook case of postpartum psychosis. People close to Ott would testify a lack of bonding between her and her baby. Joseph himself would take the stand and state he never saw Ott display any emotion until she was arrested for murder, that even the morning their son's body was found, Ott was trying to soothe him by telling him, quote, Joey, we can have another one, unquote. He described her demeanour as flat, and that when his grandmother called her a murderer, Ott warned the woman that she would be next. However, for the defence, Ott's own family would testify her lack of emotion that first morning was consistent with the after-effects of a seizure and that they witnessed her unable to function in the days, weeks and months after due to losing her only child in such a horrific manner. Ultimately, Elizabeth Ott would accept an Alford plea for involuntary manslaughter, avoiding murder and a possible life sentence. In accepting an Alford plea, Ott essentially admitted the evidence would be sufficient to convict her for murder, but formally she maintained her innocence. Nevertheless, it is still considered a kind of guilty plea and has no bearing on the resulting sentence applied. In sentencing, Ott did not address the court, but sobbed through the hour-long proceeding. The judge imposing a maximum 10-year sentence with half suspended and 20 years probation. Elizabeth Ott would have been released from prison in December 2005. It is unknown her whereabouts or if she has had any other children as of this recording. Number 2. Joshua Malden 19-year-old Joshua Malden and 20-year-old Eva Malden were high school sweethearts. They were dedicated to their church and married young and had a baby young. In May 2010, Malden felt that God wanted him to become a pastor, and the couple packed up and moved from Arkansas to Galveston, Texas, with their two-month-old daughter, Anna Marie Murphy. All seemed to be looking bright for the young family's future, except Malden had stopped taking his schizophrenia medication, and he was about to commit the ultimate sin. May 10, 2010, Malden, Eva, baby Anna and Malden's mother Joni had arrived in Galveston, 
and they were staying at a self-contained hotel whilst they searched for their family home. Eva and Joni left Malden alone with the baby to pick up some dinner from a local restaurant. Eva would later state she didn't feel her daughter was in any danger from her father, describing Malden as a loving father, who would comfort Anna when she cried, and when she was sick, he was the one to take her to the doctor. It was now that Malden would later claim that he started hallucinating and begun thinking about a strip club, feeling a white-hot burning sensation in his stomach and what felt like mud climbing up his body. Malden would later claim it was like an out-of-body experience, and he would see himself pick up baby Anna. He would first put her in a hotel safe, and then in the refrigerator for a time. Lastly, he took Anna and tried to place her into the microwave. She wouldn't fit, so he punched her several times out of frustration. He would then stuff her into the microwave until he could close the door, and allowed her to cook inside for between 10 and 20 seconds. Anna Marie was rushed to hospital, suffering from second and third degree burns to her left ear, cheek, hand and shoulder. She would require to be hospitalised for 11 days at Shriners Burn Hospital, where she underwent two skin grafts and partial amputation of her left ear. Anna would require painful daily treatments for years afterwards. Her foster mother later saying, quote, While most children are learning to coo and smile and roll over, Anna was having to suffer unbearable pain, unquote. Malden would initially tell police Anna had been severely sunburnt, but then later changing his story to say he tripped carrying hot coffee and spilt it on her accidentally. And instead of reporting Malden for what really happened to Anna, Eva and Joni decided to stay quiet. They made the joint decision that they wanted it to be Malden's choice, whether he confessed to his sins or not. Malden would confess four days later, and he would be arrested and charged with grievous bodily harm to a child. Prosecutors made it known they wanted him sentenced to the maximum of life in prison. They argued Malden hurt his daughter because he was angry that he was in a loveless marriage. They also said Malden had a history of violence and of lying about being mentally ill to get out of trouble. Eva was subpoenaed to testify, but she refused. And as she was now back living in Arkansas, the Texan subpoena couldn't be enforced out of state. But she would agree to an interview with a Houston TV station, KHOU-TV, that she believed her husband hurt Anna because the devil compelled him to, because the devil disapproved of Malden's efforts to become a preacher. Quote, Satan saw my husband as a threat. Satan attacked him because he saw Joshua as a threat. Unquote. Malden's mother, Joni, did testify. She spoke of her son hearing voices since he was 10 years old and urged jurors to consider sending her son to a mental institution rather than prison. Quote, Everyone knows that Joshua is totally insane and has been for years. Unquote. She faulted herself for not getting him the right kind of treatment. When asked about her son's version of events that led him to placing his daughter in the microwave, she said, quote, if the events really happened that way, it's my fault, unquote. Ultimately, jurors rejected the defence's claims that he was temporarily insane when he put Anna in the microwave. And after six and a half hours deliberating over two days, they would return a sentence of 25 years in prison with eligibility for parole after 12 years. He was also fined $10,000. 
Anna's foster mother, Heather Croxton, would say in her witness impact statement, addressing Malden and choking back the tears, quote, remember the scars that she will have for the rest of her life, unquote. Malden remained emotionless when the sentence was read, and during Heather's statement, Joni left the courtroom in tears after the jury announced the sentence. She returned for the impact statement and held her head in her hands as Heather described her granddaughter's pain. April 2011, the State Appeals Court upheld the conviction. They rejected Malden's claims the State allowed inadmissible and irrelevant testimony from a defence witness, and that the trial court erred by allowing the State to make improper jury arguments without an instruction. Malden would have been eligible for parole in 2019, but this too was rejected. He can next apply later this year. Anna would be formally adopted by the Croxton family, and they would legally change her name to Kaylee Croxton. Heather was interviewed in 2011 and would state Kaylee was growing into a happy and bubbly little girl, a whole life away from the horrific crimes inflicted on her by her own father. Number 1. Kay Yang March 2011, Sacramento, California. 29-year-old Kay Yang was a happily married woman with four beautiful children under the age of seven. Her eldest three being all boys. So the joy Yang and her husband felt when their baby, Mirabelle Thang Lo, was born was indescribable. Yang was seen as a loving mother who cherished her new daughter. Her husband was a long-haul trucker, often away from home for two weeks at a time. He spoke to Yang on the afternoon of March 17, 2011, and he would later report her demeanour as normal, that she did not complain of being stressed, overworked or frustrated. However, on this day, during an 11-minute time period, Yang would do the unthinkable. Between 1 and 2 p.m. on March 17, 2011, Yang would later claim she was working on a computer with Mirabelle in her arms when she saw bright lights and blacked out. She then woke up and saw the baby on the ground deceased next to a space heater. Six-week-old Mirabelle had suffered extensive thermal injuries. First responders who arrived at the scene found the girl burnt from head to toe, but her pyjamas and hair were not singed which is what you would expect if Yang's story of Mirabelle being burnt by the space heater was what in fact happened. Like in the Ott case, Yang had a history of epilepsy, and it was not uncommon for her to not recall what happened immediately after having a seizure. Relatives would later testify about the hundreds of seizures Yang experienced that began since early adolescence. Seizures that would cause her to fall down and become, quote, weak, disorientated, confused and exhausted, unquote, and she would often lose consciousness. And although she did take her medication, Yang would tell her family that it didn't really help, and she still suffered from regular seizures. Despite Yang's history of seizures, paramedics did not find her to be disorientated when they arrived. When detectives pointed out inconsistencies in her story, Yang would later acknowledge she had lied, and that she may have a split personality. When a burnt pacifier was discovered in the kitchen's microwave, Yang allegedly admitted to what truly happened, that she had placed a baby Mirabelle in the microwave and pressed start, on high heat for two and a half to five minutes. Medical experts would later testify in court 
that the radiation the baby was exposed to essentially cooked her stomach and small intestine. Police could find no obvious motive for Yang to murder her infant daughter, and her three sons were removed from the home in the aftermath of Mirabelle's death. They are now in the custody of relatives. On December 18, 2015, Kay Yang was sentenced to 26 to life in prison for first-degree murder, with no possibility of parole. However, this conviction was appealed, and on July 28, 2021, the conviction was reversed, meaning Yang is now a free woman. Acting Presiding Justice Elena Duarte called Mirabel's death, quote, an excruciating tragic case, unquote, and, quote, the issue was and needed to remain whether the killing was a product of a seizure disorder, unquote. Justice Duarte ruled first responders breached protocol by failing to assess Yang's medical condition and failed to take her to hospital for assessment, and that the prosecution relied on tainted evidence to explain Yang's behaviour and to theorise that her hallucinations were related to postpartum psychosis instead of her epilepsy, and there was simply no evidence of this being the case. What would you like to see mysteriously listed? Do you have a particular theme that interests you? Please search Mysteriously Listed on Facebook. Like the page so you don't miss an episode. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search Mysterious List. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Research, additional writing, hosting and production is by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.